0: a great sound tone to play you know, a uh, hello
1: have you ever snobbed
0: the lady um, we are a technical problem are we on can I, yeah. <laughs> on can I swear <laughs> shit oh yeah right are you um, are you recording yeah <clears throat> next week this week tomorrow today join me John Fox at the opening of a brand new episode of Crunch and Roll there'll be inappropriate anecdotes ...tales of wistful regrets... ...and at least one mention of Richard Park. Plus, fun for all the family... ...ample free parking... ...and the Crunch and Roll street team... ...will even be there. So don't miss the brand new episode... ...of Crunch and Roll. Was that alright? My guest today is... ...somebody that I've worked with... ...at three different radio stations... ...over the years. He's got a CV as long as your arm... ...which takes in a fair few... ...heavy hitting stations... It's the lovely Dan Morfitt and we chat about how loyalty to his former co-presenter didn't get him anywhere, the leather Chesterfield sofa that could tell a story or two, and also the time the worst, the worst swear word went out on air at ten past eight in the morning on a national radio station. Just so you know, it's a little bit sweary and it does contain some adult content. Oh yeah. Let's meet and greet Dan Morfitt. How are you, mate? I'm good, lad. I'd hug you, but this is Zoom. We, we always ask our guests to send us the list of radio stations and, and yours is long. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's all about the
1: length and not the quality, isn't it, oh, with me? Yeah. So,
0: well, look, Dan, run me through your station. Start at Sure, sure FM.
1: So uh, all the best people start in student radio, I think you'll believe. Um, so that was Sure in Sheffield. I then got a chance with a guy called Anthony Gay at Hallam FM. That didn't last long.
0: How long were you at Hallam FM for? I didn't realise. See, I I genuinely, I've known you for, we've been friends for many years. I didn't realise you started professionally at Hallam FM.
1: I did six months at Hallam FM, including your weekend overnights, which is now live on a fader from Manchester. Uh, There was basically me and another guy there called, there was something about the late 90s, early noughties, where every radio station had a person called monkey boy on air and i think <laughs> yeah. and i think matt jagger was monkey boy it was a, it was a weird thing d ford if you're listening to crunch and roll explain this steve king if if you can explain anything please explain the monica monkey boy being used <laughs> across all stations it's just weird so yeah hallam fm didn't last long on to the next I did a stint at Key 103, what? and I don't know how. So I was, I was covering overnights for ages. And this is post-James Stanage, who I, I don't know how it works with him as a DJ, because he was legally deaf, but an amazing broadcaster. There, there was a woman on air who I taught how to use Dalit. Uh, I think she's now on BBC Radio Manchester, so all power to her. Uh but yeah, key 103, that didn't last long. Um yeah, <laughs> as you can tell, I don't stick around in a lot of places yeah. uh that quickly. I'm I'm the I'm the Harold Shipman of Locum DJing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean you've got you've got the beard. You've got the beard.
1: So key 103. Key 103. So- um, Soul City and Hull Local Radio were these trial licenses in Hull and it eventually became KCFM.
0: Uh.
1: So I, I did them with Hull Local Radio, which was done uh, in the studios of P-Squared and P-Squared make Myriad and uh, Powerlog and stuff like that. They were a whole company on Bev Road in Hull uh, right next to one of the premier brothels of East Yorkshire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even joking. The, the brothel was right next door to this office. Uh, so the studio was on the top floor and the knocking shop was next door. The, the number of uh, high-powered sports cars that came into the P-squared car park at all times of night was astonishing. But there I started to do a radio show with a guy called uh, Pete Mills, mm-hmm. who now runs... Uh, Hull Kingston Radio in Hull, which is a community radio station. His wife is now at uh, BBC Humberside. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's where me and him started. And then from there, we went to some place called Viking. Mm-hmm.
0: I, I, I remember, because I, obviously myself and Tom were doing breakfast at the time. And you two bounded through the door and we were like, hang on. Why is there another male double act stepping on our toes here? And then we listened. We
1: won felt- weekend overnights, man.
0: And we listened and then we felt fine.
1: Yeah. Well, this, this is the thing. I got asked by Viking management to dump my radio partner at that time. And I said, no. And then I didn't work there for about a year
0: <laughs> yeah okay all right
1: that's so, that's loyalty for you I, yeah but I,
0: let's just focus on on Viking because of course we're look, we're, we're both whole lads and yeah to, to do a show on your your hometown station is amazing
1: yeah it's it's everything you want and less and I say that because um when I when I came back from my second stint at Viking when the the waters had calmed first i got put on overnight and then we lost our overnight guy don o'connell to galaxy yeah. he went straight to drive and then we lost uh jim who did the late in pretty quick succession so i had an accelerated run up the ladder and i got given the late night love affair which is basically for prisoners at whole prison to, on, to write on. letters is that oh god is that
0: the late night love affair with hugh rice jeweler's gifts as precious as time yes yes it is <laughs> that's the one yeah with gift, with
1: gifts as precious as time.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You're so right uh, about the prison thing, because I, I I presented that same show and we got a letter from Homicide Police saying, listen, you just stop reading out the letters because it's just inside information. Yeah. <laughs> genius. Absolutely genius.
1: I'd like to think there was uh, Charles Bronson in whole prison yeah. <laughs> just listening. To me on, on 96.9, that that would have been a lovely image. But um, yeah, Viking was uh, fun. I think we were probably uh, there in the last days of Sodom and Gomorrah uh, when it comes to Viking, because oh, the things that I wish I could legally tell you, some of them involve you, and some of them involve um, this oxblood, slightly brown... Uh, Chesterfield leather sofa in uh Comprod, which was I don't know how anybody could sit on there without becoming pregnant. <laughs> and there was also a boardroom in uh Viking in the boathouse, which was um oh, if 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 those walls had eyes, it would be horrific. They also had a music store upstairs, if you remember. Uh, And if you ever got the key to that, you knew that somebody else had used it the previous day.
0: Yeah. Because you could just
1: feel it on your fingers. And the news booth at Viking FM. (laughs) Again, thank God it's soundproof.
0: Right. So, Viking, Viking. And then, because you went on to Kerrang, which was a fucking call station.
1: Yeah. um, So, yeah, went from Viking, and then in about 18 months went national. Two reasons why I wanted to go to Kerrang. Foxy and Tom had a a show there, I think, on Monday nights.
0: Yeah, Raw.
1: Raw. And then uh, Jim Colson was there as well. So people confused me and Jim a lot. So Jim Colson is, uh, I think, in my uh, humble opinion, one of the funniest guys ever to go on the radio. Uh, He worked at XFM down in London for a bit. Uh, He also worked at TBR, which me and him both did as well, which is this little station in Burnley, uh Colne Valley and uh, Pendle um, up in Lancashire. But uh, yeah, Jim went there and I was just jealous basically of him. So uh, I followed him again and then he effed off to London uh, like Dick Whittington. But um, yeah, that was the main reason why I went. So I went there to do cover for four months and then they gave me a contract and then the boss who gave me my contracts left and then uh, some other boss inherited me. Uh, which was the overarching uh, idea of my career. If I ever got anywhere, I got hired by somebody and then they would leave subsequently about two weeks later. That's that's my career in a nutshell.
0: I'm guessing you have the fondest memories at your time at Kerrang.
1: Uh, yes. So moving from Hull to Birmingham doesn't sound like a big move, but it's like moving from 1985 to 2000. 2000- Seven immediately it's 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 like moving from a village to moving to the biggest city in the world not that Birmingham is, but it was a really stark difference and it was nice it the everybody was sort of pulling in the same direction there which was amazing. It was one of the last few stations that actually had investment for a few for a few months. We were bigger than six music when we were there way bigger we won every sony going which was nice we had a a guinness tap in in the little boardroom so i usually had a pint of guinness in the morning or a can of monster and then it would come back at around 10 to 10 uh yeah really really good times at kerrang radio uh an amazing audience an amazing chance to play decent music and the hoosiers
0: i'm not having that I'm not having that. I like the Hoosiers. Oh, goodbye, Mister John. <laughs> I do, I do. So let's go just quickly because then I want to move on to some other subjects. So Q Radio, okay, B- BRMB, then Beacon, Wyvern, Mercia, free.
1: Everybody's worked there.
0: Yeah, pretty much all, all, all the trash. Um, Radio
1: Air, Rock FM. Oh God, Rock FM's good. Rock yeah. FM's lovely, lovely place. So
0: you, I mean, I don't remember. So you, you went, you went to Radio Air and then Rock. So what were you doing at Rock?
1: Uh, I was doing loads of cover for Webbo and they wanted me to do more and I was desperate from so Preston is where Rock FM was in the in St. Paul's Church and my wife is from just outside of Preston so uh, that all joined up nicely I was hot rocking at the church for a bit I knew Howell and Jamie there who did breakfast who also worked at Kerrang really great guys and I didn't want to stick around, which was a shame because they liked to be there. But I went, and then some guy called Jordan North came in, and yeah, I, I sort of warm the chair for for big names. That's that's my job. I warm the chair for people that then go on to become stars of screen and stage and and radio. So.
0: And then you move on to Breeze.
1: Yeah, I did a week at Breeze with a a wonderful girl called uh, Michelle, who now is on Sky. Sports News. And it was the same week where they got a brand new piece of playout software from RCS. And it was the most miserable week of radio I've ever done. <laughs> I what? was staying in this bizarre little hotel next to Bristol Airport, which is an oxymoron. It's an airfield with a with a massive windsock. And I had to go into the offices of Breeze, and Breeze was the Salador operation in Bristol, and we've, we've got mutual friends that worked there. It, it was uh, in the most awful block of from the 60s that I probably has been knocked down now. But I thought, give it a whirl for a bit, couldn't do it. Really terrible at it, awful. All
0: right, so Radio Yorkshire, that's TV. Signal One, good on you. BBC Radio Northampton, WFMU. So that WFMU, that's in...
1: Because we should explain. We've not even explained it. You're actually in New York now. You're living in New York. Well, we haven't explained it well because I'm not actually in New York City. Uh, I'm across the water from New York City. Yeah, so imagine same, that's,
0: that's the same thing, mate. Don't try and get smart with me. You're in New York.
1: Yeah, but it's like living in Beverly in East Yorkshire and saying you're from Leeds. It's like, no, it's... um, So Manhattan's literally in front of me there. Yeah. And we're across the Hudson. And we're in Jersey City, which is in New Jersey, which means we pay less tax. So, yeah. The Empire State Building is about 15 minutes away from my house. Uh, So, yeah, that's where I'm living. WFMU is a free-form radio station. It is not commercial. It has no news uh, obligations. It has no adverts. It it has no jingles. It has no production. It just is whatever the DJ wants to play on there. So it can be amazing, avant-garde, Japanese, minimalist techno uh, on Bakelite vinyl, 78, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Or it can be me just playing lots and lots of uh, pop. So I work at WFMU, I do fill-ins, I do my own show as well. Uh, it's really fun. We we raised about a million and a half dollars over about three weeks in March, and that keeps the station going for the year. Wow. It's in Rockland County, uh, Hudson Valley, which goes all of the way up to a place called Poughkeepsie. Uh, it goes all over North Jersey and all over New York City.
0: And is that the the stepping stone to Z100?
1: Uh, no, because with absolute pleasure, American radio is terrible. Really, it's it's probably at least at least twenty five years behind the UK, and I mean that in the nicest possible way. It, it sounds like mid nineties commercial radio in the UK, and a lot of it now is. Text me now, and I'll put you in the cash machine. And uh, you, it's a, a lot like the UK uh, in that regard. And there's there's lots and lots of adulation of Z100. And there's uh, WCBS where there's a guy called Broadway Bill on there, and he's this guy who uh, does these rambling but sharp links in about thirty seconds, and he always hits the vocal. But I've heard him crash the vocal umpteenth times <laughs> yeah, yeah. now. I don't I don't really listen anymore yeah there's there's a certain uh trench of british djs who are of a certain age like mid 60s to like mid 80s who who thinks that's how radio should be and it's like it may be a bit here and there but it's had its time and it's it's massive over here. Well, there's nothing. Uh, the so dealer does a lot of work. Uh, in in order to... Well, I'm all for being open-minded, but I'm not all for discussing this live on air. Thank you. We are
0: profoundly uh, sorry. Oh yeah. All right, let's get into the juicy questions then, because this is what Crunch and Roll is all about. Let's be honest, Dan. When you and I meet up uh, for a beer, it's the stories that we never share on air, you, and that's oh, we what, can't. No because we'd be hauled off. But th- th- these are the stories that we want to get on this podcast, because this is the real industry. You know, the fun stuff that we all got up to. Um, we were... <laughs> it's, it's true, though. It's, I always say it was, my, my happier memories are off air than they are on. Do you agree?
1: Definitely. Especially uh, at places like Viking, where the, the social life was probably a much bigger part of it than on air, thankfully. And... Yeah, the social life was uh, hectic at Viking. I think that's a polite way of saying it. It
0: was great. Hectic. It was great. We've already mentioned the the, the Guinness tap in, in Kerrang. I mean, this is a stupid question for you. Ever been drunk on air? Uh,
1: that's a stupid question because you know the answer. So, <laughs> um, because, so I think it was like my first proper overnight show it was also the same night that Dan O'Connell had his leaving drinks before he left. Viking to Galaxy, and it was in jazz bar in the old town in Hull, which was a great bar. And then I ended up drinking a lot, getting to Viking, which is at Hull Marina. And I had a kebab with me, and I think the next thing I knew was uh, you and Simon Green, at probably at about five twenty-five in the morning coming in wondering why the emergency tape was doing uh, another circuit and I was asleep on a kebab in in the main studio in Viking on my first show how I got away with that I don't know that was good
0: fair play well you did the professional thing of just falling asleep as opposed to being on air
1: go on air drunk kids you've got a career ahead of you
0: (laughs) all right now um awards dues because you were obviously part of EMAP um (laughs) The EMAP Awards were just amazing. Oh. Just amazing. Any memories from those?
1: Yeah. Have you ever seen um, Spartacus, yeah. the, the TV show, yeah. where there's lots and lots of Romans having sex in lots and lots of places? That was basically the EMAP Awards. <laughs> so there was one EMAP Awards, I say one, where in Edinburgh, of all places, that Emap Awards, I remember getting so wasted, I was sick in a bowl of Budweisers and Reefs on the table of uh, Doctor Fox. Not you, no. Neil Fox. And um, I remember there was a guy who uh, was in the toilets that night, helping out Columbus GDP. <laughs> I, I lost my pants as well. That awards do because I was wearing a kilt because it was in Scotland obviously I once went to the Q Awards and got uh, Lily Allen dropped her shoulder into me which was nice in retrospect yeah, um, she was wearing this beautiful white chiffon slip dress wow uh, but <laughs> awards do's are normally rubbish there's normally a rubbish chicken dinner Budweiser which is uh, uh, you know an anal gland of a, of a beer and the the wrong people always win but that's good because you can then <laughs> shout at them from the side i once went to an awards do where steve lamac was there and me and my friend started pummeling him with peanuts uh going eat your b word and um we didn't win an award that night and i don't no. know if that was decided before or after we started throwing peanuts yeah. at steve lamac
0: I'm I'm not sure if Koran because the cooler stations perhaps didn't do things like uh, PAs and stuff. I mean, we, we've got we've got mutual friends who famously opened supermarkets and were asked to sit in a super uh, in a trolley with a pair of headphones around the neck. Any bad
1: PAs that you were asked to do? Yes and no. They were all bad, but they all paid extremely well.
0: Yeah, they did. Yeah. So
1: the the balance is there. I once opened up a Chinese restaurant on Broad Street <laughs> in Birmingham. <laughs> Uh, which was great because I got paid four figures and uh, all I had to do was turn up in a suit, which was like, why am I wearing a suit? I work for Kerrang. No, turn up in a suit and uh, wax lyrical about their chow mein. But that paid nicely. Uh, I also did uh, an afternoon outside of uh, Wilco's in Hales Owen. That was amazing. Uh, I got paid very well for that. But I've done some nice PAs as well. I turned on the Christmas lights when I was at BRMB uh, in Brindley Place with Roy Wood from ELO. So, you know, balance. And Postman Pat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who got the biggest cheer? I bet it was Postman Pat. Post, Yeah, Postman Pat. Yeah. But nobody, nobody knew who uh, Roy or Holly were. So it was really, really strange. It's like, this man's a musical genius. He doesn't need to be here. He literally earns enough from Christmas every year to sit on his backside if yeah. he wants to.
0: We're having a party, oh yeah! So, whilst we're on the subject of um, the great star that is Postman Pat, um, mm. other celebrity s- stories. I mean, you you must. I'm mean, especially. I, I keep going back to Koran, but that was a call cool station.
1: I yeah, because half the celebrities worked on the damn thing. Uh, so we had uh, Katie Lawler there, Tim Shaw, who now is like a big international TV star on Car SOS. Can
0: I just say, because uh, I worked with Tim Shaw at BRMB, and his show was crazy. And to watch him work, he was a genius.
1: Um, so Tim Shaw is a certifiable genius, and he knew the absolute limits of where he could go. And very rarely did he go beyond those limits, which was amazing of him. But that show, The Asylum on Kerrang! Radio, was a brilliant show. I got to meet Tony Visconti there who is the uh, producer, Uber producer of David Bowie and Iggy Pop and Lou Reed back in the day. Um, And Tony Visconti, he likes women's breasts, which was lucky because we had lots of topless glamour models in Kerrang at that time of night. It had an open door policy where people could literally walk in off the streets and go into a radio studio. You would not have this now, mainly because of Anton Deck and Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand. Most nights we used to have people of brilliant occupations, like dominatrixes. So there were a fair few nights where I had sadomasochistic rituals imparted upon my body. That was that was an eye-opener. But the, the main thing, the, the worst thing that we ever did on asylum almost got a few of us sacked. In that, a guy who now uh, still works in radio tried to get us all sacked. And uh, it was sort of the creation of quite a cliquey atmosphere at Kerrang, between them and us, that changed once management changed. But uh, one night, there was a contortionist woman who took one of the very expensive Sennheiser wireless mics and used it. (laughs) Yeah. And Tim played a game on air going what's this sound? <laughs> and it was also met with people taking photos. And this isn't the, the age of digital cameras, even in like 2007, this was still like. <laughs> and yeah, this, this woman managed to get a very expensive Sennheiser wireless mic up, up, up there. <laughs> and um, so it went out on air. We were on a delay. And Tim went to ads and he just went, oh, I can't broadcast that. And we all, we all agreed, right, yeah, it's fine. These pictures then rematerialized, and we don't know how, because they were deleted, they were they torn up, everything that could possibly be done with photos. Uh, this guy who was leaving tried to get us all sacked. Um, It's also the same guy who, um, when we were on breakfast, so it was me, Tim Shaw, Katie Lawler on breakfast on Karang. One morning, to temper the attitude of the boring office staff at Karang, we put a live microphone in the middle of the office. Mm -hmm. And at approximately 9.13 on a Tuesday morning, uh, a guy bent over the microphone and said the C word. On breakfast radio, on a national radio station in the UK, we immediately called off. Come, well, the boss did, and did a mere culpa. and he goes, "The c-word went up the transmitter on breakfast, when children were possibly listening." And the next day, we had to do an apology on the hour, every hour. I swear to God, not one person complained <laughs> for this c-word, um, but um yeah that was those were interesting times, good times yeah Kerrang was Kerrang pushed the envelope of everything and it's it's such a shame how it all ended for a lot of us, but um kudos must go to the boss Gordon, who was an amazing boss and had the better of the management uh of the of the larger radio company at the time. Do you know,
0: whilst we're talking about management, what, what's, the, what's the worst piece of advice or feedback you were given?
1: Oh, that's easy. Um, I had a boss who was still desperate to be on air, and me and him never saw eye to eye because I thought he was crap. Um, <laughs> not only as a boss, but as an on-air personality, and as an off-air personality. He had no personality. And he, he sat me down and told me what I should be doing on the late-night love affair. And he goes, oh, I did this thing called you know teardrops on your pillow or some crap. <laughs> and I politely said, no. Oh, and by the way, I'm, I'm moving to Birmingham. And you can't do anything to stop me because, A, I'm out of contract and, B, it's the same company. And he tried to stop me. And he tried to hold me to a contract that he hadn't materialised. So, yeah, that, that's bad management practices. I've had some good bosses, but I've also had some just terrible bosses. And the bosses that you trust the most are the ones, I think, who have either done it and done it well, as in being a presenter, or done it and realised it's not their thing. I think the the worst bosses that I had... Were the bosses who were still bitter that they weren't still on air? Do you know, this isn't. I'm interest- trying to be polite here with my words.
0: No, you're, do- you're, you're doing a, you're doing a cracking job, and uh, kindly, our mutual friend and the man sat next to me right now, Simon, has written down the name of that boss and you're talking about, and I agree. Um, now, uh, radio heroes and inspirations, because if I were going to go for a guest, you're not going to go for the norm.
1: What's the norm? Well, Tony I, Blackburn. Yeah,
0: yeah, I mean, it's one of the reasons we on this this I mean, this podcast isn't. We, don't, we didn't want it to be anaraki. It's not about oh, what's your favourite jingle package and uh, how much do you like Simon Mayo. But I mean, for me, I would say uh, inspirations Mark and Lard um, for me. Uh, yeah. Now I, I, I still thought Moyles was great on Radio One. Um, so I'm just intrigued because you know, yeah. I mean, who, who do you who who's your inspiration and who do you like now?
1: Um, it's it's really really easy to cite my uh, inspirations. So I was never an anorak, I don't think. I only got into radio at 18. I never saw it as a career path and I still don't see it as a career path. It's not a career guys. Don't do it. Go and get a degree in something good. The people that really influenced me are two Martin Kellner, who was on the late show on BBC North. Uh, so it was him and Edward Le Paglier and Le Chinois and Mrs. Merton. Yeah. That was amazing. That was proper radio. I listened to under the covers and on Radio 1, late night in the early noughties, uh, Nicholas Andrew Argyle Campbell. Nicky Campbell was amazing. I used to listen to him him every night. He did a series of interviews with Frankie Howard on the radio, and it was fascinating. So the, the two main inspirations are definitely Kellner, who is peerless, and he's thankfully still brilliant on TalkSport uh, at the weekend. Uh, even though he's on overnights, just put him on normal time. He's not a bigot like other idiots on that radio station. Um, And and Nicky Campbell is amazing, I think. The man has got a brilliant ego in that he searches for his own name on Twitter, but I think he has earned that right because, yeah, Nicky Campbell is up there. And he's an amazing kid. You know, he was in, like, some radio station up in Aberdeen, and then he went... All the way to the dizzying heights of the wheel of fortune so yeah and, and who, who do i rate now yeah um there's a really really nice lad that we both worked with uh signal who has just made his debut on radio One, emile franchi uh he is uh, an amazing talent um i like ellis and john on five live. I think they're good. They're probably the closest. John Robbins certainly is the closest thing you'll get to a real life Alan Partridge, but he does it with complete self knowledge and homage. And yeah, that's good radio. But thankfully I don't really listen to any of the radio because I'm a bit like you, John in that. Well, you're still on air, but um, I went to the other side and became a producer. And, wow, um, you sort of get to see how annoying you can be as a presenter, as a producer.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, 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 I'm kind of gripping on there. But um, I, just another one. I, I just want to know, because, I mean, you, you've, you've moved around a little bit, Dan. Obviously, you're in New York. Well, you're not. You're in Jersey, whatever. Um, yeah. It, it, back in the UK, the worst TSA, the, the place and city that you broadcast to? Oh, gosh. Um, Leeds? <laughs> well, straight in there. Now, is this because you and I are both whole City fans and Holland Leeds, we just don't have much love?
1: No. Well, many reasons. I, I, I've got lots and lots of lovely listeners from Leeds. Uh, some of them are still in contact with me, which is lovely. Um, but I first moved to Leeds from Sheffield uh, when I was about 23 because I did it as a bet. And that, did you lose the bet? I, I no, my mate said, if I move to Leeds, you go i I said to uh, him, "Oh, I'll move with you. Well, if you if you move to Leeds, I'll move with you." And he then he goes, "I've got a contract, and I went, "Oh, cut." So I had to see that through. Um, and I lasted about nine months in Leeds the first time I lived there, and I didn't enjoy it. And then I moved uh, my whole life situation, including my soon to be then wife, uh, all the way up to Leeds. And we moved to Chapel Allerton and we lived in Roundhay as well. We used to eat in a a restaurant called the Flying Pizza, which was the favourite restaurant of once, Sir Jimel Savile. And it used to have pictures of him all over the walls. And then suddenly there were these sort of bleached out spaces of where those pictures were used to be on the wall. Uh, Leeds was a strange place. I went to join an old boss of mine who I really respected uh, and still do. And uh, he was an amazing guy. And I went there. First of all, I got the backup of a couple of deserving people who probably could and should have been given that opportunity, but they weren't because that place needed a steady ship. Those people are Larry and Paul, who are lovely guys and uh, are now big-named comedy people, and they're fantastic. And the other guy whose nose was put out of joint was this, like, 18-, 19-year-old kid, uh, Danny Milo, who is now a breakfast star at Pulse in Bradford. He was a great talent then. He's a great talent now. He probably should have been given drive, but they needed someone like me to steady the ship. And I went in, and I got decent radar, which for Radio Air is saying something because that place is impossible uh to get a book filled in but i had as good a radio hour as breakfast which didn't please everybody i en- <laughs> i enjoyed my boss but then that sounds wrong what me enjoying my boss yeah uh, no you and and i uh both saw radio in exactly the same way i think and he was pressurized because radio air if if you if you don't know of this place it's this radio station that has had virtually every big name work there, but it's never had an audience because, bizarrely, you can get Viking stronger in Leeds than you can get Radio Air. Um, Power issues aside with that transmitter, the the place is just abject, and that's why it's now greatest hits, I think. Yeah, the Scout Hut in Leeds is possibly one of the the most depressing uh, radio studios you've ever, ever seen. Although I've got some happy memories of the place. You know, I, I interviewed Elbow there. And there were some lovely people in the office, to be honest.
0: I, I, wanted, um, to, I wanted to ask you about memorable people in your career who are off-air.
1: Loads. I've, I've met some of the nicest people in radio. I've met some right a-holes as well. And, John, if you and I had a list, um, they would probably match up yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah. pretty well. But off-air, it's, it's the people in the office, the copywriters and the uh, salespeople who, uh, if they get what you're doing, either as a, a producer or a presenter or a programmer, if they get it, they will help and they will make everybody's life easier. And that's what makes... Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. Uh, it's what pay, puts the team in radio.
0: Oh, which, uh, hang on. Yeah. And the yeah. Winner yeah. Award goes to... Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, but... um. I think I think in far too many places you work in spite of others rather than because of them and uh, I say that as a, a as a man bitter about my career but yeah uh if if everybody's not on board then it can be an absolute s show uh, and if you've got copywriters sound producers all working in the same direction good things can happen but I don't because I haven't worked in UK radio for so long, I don't know what that's like now. Because you know, I, I don't know if if presenters get to see salespeople anymore. Or
0: I don't think they or, do, mate. I don't think they do.
1: You know, you know, things like just changing a couple of records on a on a music log must be so difficult now, where. Back in the day, as Viking. I used to do it, and then Dolby used to tell me off afterwards. So...
0: <laughs> Good old Dolby. What a legend he is. It was a technical problem. You heard something on air you shouldn't have done. Oh, yeah. I want to move on to... You remember Extracts?
1: Oh, the... It smelled so lovely. It did, not it? The a, smell... A fresh oh, one.
0: Oh, yes. Oh, Great observation. Oh, that's, the, Dan. that's
1: the only reason why you wanted extracts because it was full of pish and people's birthdays who you didn't care about. <laughs> well, oh, look, it's so and so's birthday this week. Don't give a crap. <laughs> you
0: could apply for prizes. And, yes. And, and the rules were that you did it on air. So you, I don't know. I, I mentioned it at a previous podcast about um, some. We, we, we gave away sun cream or something, something like that. And then you'd have to go on air and go I'm sponsored by. Suncream, whoever, whoever. But nobody could ever be asked to do that. They just wanted to blag the prizes. So I wondered if you'd ever blagged any prizes and then faked the demo to send back to extracts.
1: Well, that's what I'm thinking. You're saying you had to do it on air. I don't know anybody who no. did it on air. At Viking, there was a day when everybody would go into the spare Studio and dummy up their competitions. <laughs> I got a really, really nice, I think it was an Oral-B brawn, Electric toothbrush nice. from X Tracks. Yeah. But I didn't really do it that much because the prices weren't all that great that often. We need to talk about you
0: because you've got a podcast now. So people can hear you on this podcast. It's, um, it's called Top Content and it's brilliant.
1: Uh, I, it's all right. Um, that's, that's a nice podcast to go and listen to. It's just two uh, middle class, white, northern males talking. That makes it sound like it's like national front. It's not. Um, <laughs> top content's good, but um, here in in New York, I'm also producing corporate podcasts. I do a brilliant one called The Housing Problem. That's a very good podcast. It's not two white guys rambling. It's a it's a black guy from Brooklyn and a uh, Latino guy from Rochester, uh, New York, talking about. Uh, how weird New York City housing is. That's interesting. Oh, yeah. Have you ever done voiceover work, Dan? Absolutely never. No? Oh, that's a shame. Um, no, because um, A, I think I've got one of those really annoying nasally off-Yorkshire voices, and B, all the sound producers that I've worked with, and we've worked with some decent ones, they've never recommended me to do any voiceovers. So... Um, <laughs>
0: Can you not put a, uh, I mean, now you're in America, surely you've got the accent. I mean, I'm surprised because your accent hasn't really changed. I thought, because you've been there some time now, I thought you'd be like, howdy.
1: No, um, if I ever feel as if I'm slipping into an American accent, I watch James Corden and punch myself repeatedly in the groin. Um, so I'm never going to get the accent. Don't worry about that. I'll always sound like some hybrid wazook.
0: Well, um, we we like to finish the podcast by asking our guests to read the credits in their best voiceover style.
1: Ah, Okay, here we go. You have been listening to Crunch and Roll with me, Dan Morfitt. Subscribe on your favourite podcast app to get every new episode as soon as it drops. Crunch and Roll is a 969 Media production presented by John Fox and produced by Simon Bushowski. Oh yeah.